Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane, Three Roll is cane to glass. From Tula Tacos and Amigos in downtown Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Mader, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. What is Louisiana art? One definition might be art that is unique to Louisiana. The market expects a certain version of the Bayou State, and so we give consumers what they want. Alligators, bayous, piros, French spices, and so on. People want an authentic experience of Louisiana, and what they think of as authentic doesn't quite reflect reality all the time. That's the drawback of having a flavor that sticks out in the American melting pot. People want what they want. But let me propose another definition. Louisiana art is made by Louisiana. Too broad? Maybe so, but it's much closer to reality. Louisiana is alligators and bayous, but it's also lots of other stuff. My guest uh, Dustin Russo is a Louisiana artist with a palette influenced by architecture and industrial design. He's an architect by trade, but fell back into painting as an outlet to cope with stress on the job. Pretty soon, his colorful abstractions have caught on through his Instagram page, and he later hooked up with General Public, a company that renders 3D prints of paintings for sale. And that landed his work in restoration hardware. Dustin grew up in Lafayette and now lives and works in Baton Rouge. Dustin Russo, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, my next guest, Alexis Bro, wears a lot of creative hats. She's a writer, illustrator, podcaster, and artist, but primarily she's a storyteller. She calls herself the La Fouche Raconteuse, a spin on the Acadiana raconteur. Alexis grew up in Cutoff. That's in Lafouche Parish, if you're counting. She's the author of several children's books and has illustrated even more. She also produced a podcast called The Bayou Home Podcast, which explores what it means to be a Cajun. Alexis Bro, welcome to Out to Lunch. Hi, happy to be here. So, Dustin, I was looking at your work, and, you know, I come from a background in music. I was a musician for a long time, and, you know, we would travel, and people would be like, you don't sound like you're from Louisiana, which was, I guess, true, but it, it always has me strike in this thought process of when you're trying to sell something you create outside of the state, people kind of come to you and say, well, this isn't from Louisiana. I want something from Louisiana. Has that ever really, you know, hit you as, it, as you tried to market your work? Do people have a certain restrictive expectation of what you do? Uh, not necessarily. Um, I mean, my, my work has, I mean, I was born and raised in Lafayette, Louisiana, but my work is so abstract that there's really no tie to anything, um, I guess, literal in my work that is sort of Louisiana themed. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, it tends to be more abstract. I do get a lot of local business, a lot of local clients, but most of my work comes, or most of my work is sold to people out of, out of state that... Um, see my work in restoration hardware and, and through general public, um, but yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't show any kind of literal, like iconography of Louisiana. No alligators. No, uh, you know, swamp rats or anything like that in my, in my work. So, <laughs> I, mean, I, I guess I'm curious if anybody's ever sort of put that pressure on you to say, you know, yeah, we're interested in your work, but we were kind of expecting to see more Louisiana stuff, you know. Uh, not necessarily because of my background in architecture. I've got my bachelor's and my master's here in Lafayette at UL. Yeah. And um, 
while I was in school, my, my work tended to be a lot more on the minimal side. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what my work is in, entails nowadays. Is it's, it's very architectural, it's very minimal, but there's, like I said, there's very little like Louisiana iconography or anything like that in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it just tends to be more on the abstract and, and minimal side. Sure. So, so Alexis, you're somebody who clearly has a range of interests, but a lot of your work really does embrace that sort of Louisiana iconography, Cajun iconography. I mean, do you ever find that restrictive? I mean, do you ever find yourself saying like, man, I'd really like to write about an Eskimo or something differently? <laughs> like, I mean, does that ever come up? Well, I, I did. Sp- I mean, I'm, I didn't go north of I-10 before I went to college. So um, I am as from down the bayou as you can get. Yeah. And um, once I lived outside of our culture... And I saw the uniqueness in it. I didn't view it as a restriction. Hmm. It's a freedom to explore something as in-depth as you can possibly explore it. Hmm. Um, My family's, like, they literally went from Akadi to Cutoff. Like, (laughs) like, we've been in Lafourche Parish for so long that just exploring my own story and exploring my family's stories and the folklore that comes from that, that's a lifetime's work. And I'd rather work from something that is is literally in my DNA and I didn't realize how unique that was until I lived in North Carolina and I traveled to Europe for a little while and I lived in Arizona and people you know just going to festival here in Lafayette like the people that come from other places to watch Cajuns being Cajuns you know it's I I don't have a problem with playing with the iconography Um, I tend to try to stay away from the cliches um, what are some tropes that you try to avoid? I mean, uh, shrimp boats, magnolias, mallards, rendered isolation on a, you know, realistically rendered. Yeah. And the, there are people who do that work so beautifully. That is a, that is a market that has its people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like to view, I don't want people to look at my painting and think that somebody else did it. I, I really enjoy finding a different way to look at our culture that I think kind of has to come from a native. Yeah. That kind of, well, I'm, well, I won't say has to come because there are people who come and love this place just as much and made beautiful work from it. But the nuance that comes from being from a bayou and depicting a bayou is something that I really like exploring in my work. So, Dustin, I, I, I noted that the way this works with general public, right, they've got this really interesting process for actually rendering your work, right? Like where you're, you're not just sort of taking a snapshot of a painting and making a print out of it. I mean, it is a print but your work's very textural right and so they're able to actually render that in a way that's almost like the person's getting the real thing right so, so yeah. how, how does that first how does that process actually work that seems kind of crazy to me well so the the way that it works is once I finish a range of collection of works let's say 10 to 20 pieces general public will reach out to me or I'll email them and say hey look this is the body of work that I have available currently um and they will then review all of the pieces, um, make a decision on which pieces they think would work best with restoration hardware, um, and then uh, say, you know, we want these five to ten pieces. I'll take those pieces, remove the canvas from the, the wood stretchers, mm-hmm. roll them up in a tube, send them to Los Angeles, and then Portia, um, who is Ellen DeGeneres' wife, her, they own this company together called General Public, and they are an art curation company. Um, 
they're working on marketing themselves to more companies than just RH, but right now it's just exclusively through general public and RH. Um, but but they take the paintings that they you know that they choose from from my collection, um, unroll them, put them on a huge flatbed scanner that they had patented. Uh, I forget if it's like Kodak or Fujifilm, but they had it patented by one of those film companies. Um, made in Italy, it's a giant, probably 10 foot by 20 foot flatbed scanner. They put the paintings down. It takes several hours for them to do a, a scan, and they go in the you know in two different directions, and it picks up all the colors, the textures. Um, they can only get up to a certain height off the canvas, but they can get a pretty textured print from my work. So um, they'll scan it, um, keep it in their in their system in their computer system um, until it's ready to be you know sold, and then uh, you know once someone purchases it through general public or restoration hardware, um, they can just easily upload the document, print it, and it looks exactly like my original. So are they, so, do they limit the number of renditions that come out? I mean, it could, no. theoretically, could there be a million of whatever? Yes, the, wow. well, they, I can't say how they do their, um, I, I know that they work with additions, but I don't know exactly how it, it works sure. on their end um, but yeah I mean they can reproduce as many of the prints as they want to once they have that in their system they can reproduce it as many times as they want to they can increase the scale or decrease the scale up to three times the, mm -hmm. the original size um, and then they can also change any color so a lot of the times my paintings they will be one color but restoration hardware may decide that they want it more of a neutral grayish color or they want it to be completely black. Uh, there was a recent painting that was just released um, that was black and white, and they changed it to this like sepia-toned color. So they have the ability to kind of change, you know, colors and um, things like that to kind of make it work for what RH needs. So Alexis, you've you know, published a, a number of books. I mean, I'm familiar with Cajun ABCs because I've got small kids. Um, <laughs> uh, but you, you're, you know kind of a fierce advocate of like self-publishing, right? I mean, that you, you really like the value of, of getting this stuff, controlling your content in that way. I mean, talk to me a little bit about that process. Well, I, um, I had the golden goose that people don't get. I was recruited by two different publishers to do work from um, going out and doing markets, like the big white tent arts markets. Um, and I got the phone call, hey, would you like to do a children's book? I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I did not let that stop me. So I produced a book for Pelican that was Parade. Um, I had no input after I submitted the paintings. I had no input. All the edits, all the changes, how they framed it, how they cropped it, the font choice. And as a creative person who does enjoy wearing a lot of hats, when the product came out, there were choices that would have been made differently. Um, I was proud to have produced the book, but I was like, okay, I want another chance at this. Um, Later, when I was approached by Pelican, not by Pelican, pardon me, by um, River Road Press, it was through my efforts to promote Parade that they saw my artwork and were like, hey, do you want to do two books for us? <laughs> and once again, I didn't feel like I had a firm grasp on the process because what happened in the publishing house was kind of behind closed doors. But River Road Press was such a small press at the time that it was literally like one guy who would get anybody to do anything they could. And since I was willing to step into doing layout and advising and doing the digital reproduction and my input was utilized by the publisher not always you know my not what I said goes but like um, with Bayou Ballet uh, 
black cover pink spine um they you know that was kind of a weird choice for a children's book to have a black cover it was like it's ballet it's black and like black and pink kind of the iconic covers and they respected my views and used them to help produce the books and I enjoyed that a little bit more however the deadlines that were required where this has to go to the printer we need to be done um I literally painted the last of one two Rougarou it dried on my dashboard while driving to the print the publishers to get it scanned so um there was one year I did four books um and it was not good for my mental social family health so because that's just it's a huge amount of work and those deadlines were just really hard um not that they were difficult I mean they were difficult but it was like this is the date you do not get an extension and as a painter that's not always a great you want to do your best work but sometimes that deadline gets there before your best work does and the biggest thing I found with independent publishing is that I get to work on it till it's done I get to work on it until it is exactly what I want to do now have I made mistakes when I've done my layout and my cover work sometimes? Yes. Um, but I have other people that I work with, friends of mine, uh, professional acquaintances that will help me kind of catch those mistakes. But with independent publishing, um, you have the control and it's your deadline. And right now, when it comes down to with a regular publisher, there's kind of a misconception with a lot of people. Like I was traditionally published. I still went to put 70,000 miles in my car in two years driving just between Baton Rouge, Lafayette, and, Louis and Lafourche Parish doing book signings on my own dime, um, have to buy the books from the publisher at my own cost. You know, there's still definitely, you're still doing the hustle that you would have to do as a publisher. So, you know, it's, it's, you have to do the work even with a regular publisher. Your cost per unit's just lower when you publish yourself sure. versus having to buy them printed from the publishing house to then resell at events like markets or provide local suppliers and things like that. So even from a cost analysis at the end of the year when I did my banking, it was like, nope, self-publishing is still the choice for me. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking with author and illustrator Alexis Bro and painter Dustin Russo. Dustin, you're, you're uh, I would presume, like kind of working through a national retailer like Restoration Hardware, you're, you're reaching a larger market. That's, that's an advantage. But I mean, earlier you said right? They took one of your works and they applied a different color hue to it. I mean, I have lots of artist friends in my lives who would be like, that's crazy. They took my work. <laughs> I worked so hard on that color palette. I mean, what's that like for you? What's your mindset around thinking, okay, well, that's fine. You know, like I'm going to produce this work and yeah, maybe it might change, but I'm okay with that or, or, or maybe not. I mean, how, how does that strike? I, I, well, at first when they, they told me that they could manipulate the color and the size, um, I was a little weary about that because it was it's you know it's my work it's my stamp on, on the work it's who I am those colors were intentionally um, purposefully selected for that specific painting for whatever reason maybe it was the way that I was feeling maybe it was some inspiration that I saw that um, allowed me to create that painting that looked a certain way um, I was just a little weary about them changing the colors but I do have to say that I respect General Public and RH's um, design brand so much that everything that RH does, that they produce, that they sell is so architectural that I knew that my work was in good hands with General Public and no matter what they did to the work, you know, it was going to look amazing. And it's it's true. I mean, 
some of the paintings that they've manipulated, I mean, they just look absolutely stunning, you know, in the context of the furniture and the products that RH sells. Um, every, not every season, but I think maybe it's annual, like every year they do an update to their source books. So their source books are what RH prints and sends to clients and puts in their RH galleries around the country. And um, it's to help to promote their products. It's a full book listing of every product that they sell. Um, and a lot of the times they'll show my work and the other general public artists in the context of those products. And it, it just, you know, our paintings help to sell their products. Their products help to sell our paintings. So it's kind of like this, um, it, it's all kind of connected together and, and all the works. I mean, I, I've never been unhappy with anything that they've they've put together and sold and, and colorized. Um, I kind of have to wonder uh, if... if because you're obviously your other profession, you're an architect, right? Very creative. It can be a very a process of, of vision, right? But you're also having to work to please other people, right? You're gonna have clients you're designing a building for them. I mean, is is that mindset part of what kind of puts you in that frame of mind? Am I kind of overreading that? I mean, just the way you're even talking about it is it sounds like a very collaborative process in the way that. You know, I mean, a lot of my work is inspired by what I do. I mean, the 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 firm that I work for in in Baton Rouge. I do a lot of construction administration, which is um, after the drawings have been done, we're going out in the field, we're taking pictures, doing site visits. I'm actually looking at the, the building from the beginning phase of the project from when they're just moving dirt work, and then they start framing up the foundations, they're pouring concrete, framing up walls, all of those things inspire my work. Um, I mean, everything from the details to the way that the, the concrete looks with the the wood, um, when you remove the wood from the formwork, you can still kind of see the wood grain and the concrete, things like that. And then even the the actual workers that are building the, you know, whether it's a house or a building, you can go into a house or a building that's under construction. And a lot of times they'll write, they'll have their own graphic way of like notating dimensions or, you know, this door is going to be this size. Even the writing in some of the projects that I go into, I mean, all the color, every everything, every aspect of construction inspires you know my work so um there's no small detail that you know isn't really kind of noticed or, or big detail that isn't noticed in the in the projects i go to yeah. alexis you you have to buy your own books when you're doing this process i mean i yes. i think some people might hear that and say like that sounds difficult or at least like risky right because you're having to kind of invest in the product and then it's on you to yeah, that's sell it. That's the ask. Look, the the year I got parade, I came to festivals like Kajan, which is usually my my big visit to Lafayette every year. And uh, I was like, later, guys, I'm gonna be a published author. I'm out. I don't need my white tent anymore. Take the prints. I'm 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 yeah. set. You know, next time you're gonna see me, New York Times bestseller. That did not happen. Um, but there is that concept, and it wasn't until I was in the in the weeds with the process with a traditional publisher that I found out. No, you have to buy your own books. Usually, half half of cover is usually what we have to purchase them at. So yeah, <laughs> Dustin, do you, when you sell a design, I mean, are, do you still have the the IP on that design? Like, is it still your work? Like, if you wanted to take the thing that you've submitted, but you wanted to show it and sell the original yes. in a gallery, I mean, is that still your art? Yes. So, any painting that they scan and for reproduction that they can 3D print, um, I retain the the ownership of like the original piece, but I no longer retain like the the copyright. So I can't 
take that same painting and give it to someone else for them to reproduce or no other prints can be made of that painting. I can sell the original, um, you know, or keep it, whatever I want to do. But, but yeah, I just can't give it to any other company or um, allow any other prints to be made of, of the, the painting. RH and General Public retain the, or actually I think it's just General Public that retains the rights to um, reproduce the paintings. This is actually sounds like a fairly familiar, like when you think about publishing arrangements, you know, like, I mean, you, you typically divide publishing arrangements between, you know, ownership of the intellectual property. When I was a songwriter and I would do these sort of things, right, I would, you know, you had the, the right to manufacture the, the song, you had the right of you know, the two sides of the recording. And so, but usually there'd also be sort of a royalty rate affiliated with that. So I could, you know, license if anybody's going to broadcast my song or something like that or put it on an episode of some TV show, I would get a cut of that. I mean, are, are they issuing royalties based on, on sales in that way? I mean, I, I just, yeah. I just, yeah, so every every painting that um, RH or General Public sells, the General Public has their own website and their own Instagram where they sell um, the paintings through their company. And then they also sell, obviously, through RH. So there's two kind of different ways to purchase the paintings through, through both companies. But yes, every painting that is sold, I get a percentage um, of royalty, and then every quarter I'll get a, a check from the, the company with uh, you know the amount of sales. They give me a itemized list of breakdown of every painting that's sold. Wow. So uh, yep, it's mm-hmm. interesting. I just I wouldn't have thought that like you. It's interesting to me that they've developed a way to like make that work right, where you have kind of a, a publishing style business arrangement for. A painter. Like I just didn't. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really seem like something that would make sense until you could 3D print it. Um, Alexis, you you know, so now that you're you've been self-publishing and it gives you that kind of freedom. I mean, certainly something you get out of that is you get a lot bigger piece of the pie when you're selling it. But you, it's kind of on you. So it is on you. So, so what does the distribution actually look like for you? Um, well, given that my first self-published book was supposed to hit the street spring of 2020, I'll let you know when I find out. Oh, <laughs> um, no. no I've, I've, <laughs> I've got um, my first self-published book came out. Um, I did have good sales in the fall. Um, it was a different direction for me. So there was, but the plan was to, you know, really hit it hard after, in spring of 2020. Yeah. So, um, but what you're talking about with the royalties, like I don't retain the, I don't, I don't get to keep my images for any books that I've done for a publishing house. They own the images. Wow. I can't reproduce them and they retain the originals. Wow. So I had to have a specific clause. Um, one book I did, Gumbo, the end papers were such a great design that I made sure it was in my contract that I retained the right to reproduce that. Yeah. Um, and I was able to negotiate that because it was a smaller printer, but I have to turn over all of my originals and I'm not allowed to reproduce any specific images from any of the books for my own profit. Yeah, that's how you get these like wild stories. Like I remember being a kid and watching like uh, VH1 Legends, right? It was this like documentary series around and they had one on Credence Clearwater Revival, right? And like John Fogarty, the songwriter for Credence, got sued by his publishing company for writing a song that sounded like Credence Clearwater Revival, right? You get these like really strange arrangements where like, but I created that. And they're like, sorry. You don't own it anymore, <laughs> you know. Which is just just wild. I mean, Dustin. I mean, uh, you, you mentioned earlier, right? Like the part of the the benefit you, that you see would, would be like, look, you get your, your work out there. You can you know kind of sell the art of you. You finding that it is people are discovering who you are through um, you know through the story and coming to you later and saying, like, I'd love to own a, a piece. Does does this elevate your ability to market your your oh, originals? Definitely. I mean. I have my own website, and I sell, you know, originals through my website. Um, I, I don't work with any galleries. RH and General Public are really the only 
two companies that I exclusively work with as of right now. Um, but yeah, I sell my originals and the the having the connection to RH and general public and obviously Portia de Rossi, um, you know, being married to, to Ellen, them together promoting it. I mean, it has helped, you know, my sales tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, me being from, you know, Lafayette, Louisiana, I, when I started, I never imagined that, you know, my work would be sold in, in restoration hardware stores. It was a dream of mine. I used to actually fantasize about having my work sold through them because I looked up to that company so much. Um, and now that it's actually happened, it's it's been really, really great. It's a fun partnership. It's fun working with them. Um, and then it also tremendously helps to boost my sales because when people see my work in RH galleries or online or on General Public's website or their Instagram, they'll go to my website and they'll say, hey, you know, I really love these prints, but I would also love to have an original painting, you know, by you. So there are people that you know, purchase a lot of the prints, but there are people who prefer to have original paintings. So, and like I said, I can sell the original that was scanned. Um, I just can't reproduce that painting. Um, uh, but, you know, I can do commissions and I have originals that look, you know, kind of similar to the ones that are being sold by RH. Yeah. Alexis, do you, do you find that the, the audience that's come into your work, I mean, I would suppose a lot of them discovered you based on earlier works, but if, I, I guess I'm just curious, like, if you're finding that you're selling most of your stuff to people in Louisiana, or, or are you reaching mostly a market outside of the state? Um, well, I, I call Cajun ABC my expat book, because every grandmother who's got an overseas grandchild has bought my book and shipped it. I've had to ship to the United Arab Emirates, uh, Germany, France, Japan, um, you know, people, it's, it's, it's I, I think it's really, you said you read it to your kid. Um, I have never had success reading that book to small children, but I've had a lot of great success reading it to adults who are visiting. Yep. Not great for story time at pre-K, let me tell you, but really good if you want to just give somebody a visual encyclopedia. Um, my work just finds people who love Louisiana. Um, almost everything that I've released, I would consider, well, I mean, I've done some books for other markets, but um, most of my, bo- my books are for the Louisiana market, and all I really have to do is just show up where the the people are going when they want to buy something that is of Louisiana. Um, We do get sales um, nationally, internationally, um, some nepotism buys from friends who live in other states, but um, I find that people just kind of come to my work because my artistic style is kind of, it's, I, I, I can't draw like other people, so my work looks like my work. And if people like my work, they they seem to come keep coming back for it. So, well, um, let me propose a new slogan then, just based on that. Louisiana, we're always by you. Oh, yeah, there's a groaner right there. <laughs> Alexis and Dustin, <laughs> thank you for for being out to lunch, Katie. Yeah, thank you so much. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been artist uh, Dustin Russo and author and illustrator Alexis Bro. We edited this conversation to fit into our time slot here on KRBS and you can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Dustin and Alexis by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast and you can find and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app and on our website it's acadiana.com if you want to know what we all look like you can find photos from this show on it's acadiana.com and on our social media these photos were taken by Dylan Babineau and you can find more of Dylan's photos really just by following our Facebook page Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for it's acadiana.com and KRBS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by Dylan Babineau. Our associate producer is Molly Richard. 
Our researcher is Leah Erdialis, and I'm Christian Mader. I'm editor of The Current, Lafayette's nonprofit news outlet. For more stories deeper than the headlines, head over to thecurrentla.com and sign up for our newsletter. I'll see you here again next time for more business and conversation on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye. Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Tula Tacos and Amigos. Tula Tacos and Amigos offers street-style tacos, margaritas, and an open-air courtyard on Jefferson Street in the heart of downtown Lafayette. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.